0: ready to get down to business join seasoned entrepreneur community leader and army veteran scott shalom klein who will take you behind the scenes with those who work in america's small business scene and speak with leaders making an impact creating jobs and telling their story in entrepreneurship so let's get down to business on am 560 the answer here's your host shalom klein
1: and indeed, we are all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship and business. We talk a lot about business here. You're on with Get Down to Business. And I'm your host, Klein. remember, you can always download podcasts on my website at sykline.com. And while you're there, don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Shalom Klein. It's going to be a jam-packed week of content and information you will not want to miss. Honestly, super excited for today's conversation. Um, Really, really timely as we move into the new year. I'm thrilled to be joined by by Jones Laughlin, who has made it his life's work to deliver powerful ideas and practical solutions to individuals and organizations struggling with two much to do he is the author of a fantastic read it's called juggling elephants which i know we are going to talk about (laughs) and his innovative solutions on leadership overload change and time management has attracted the attention of organizations around the world including federal express walmart choice hotels toyota and the list goes on and on jones welcome to the program thank you so much for joining us
2: well, thank you. My energy level is going up already because of the number of words you're, you're using. Uh, Scott, this is exciting, uh, to be able to uh, talk with you today, especially for your audience of being small business people who definitely are juggling elephants. Absolutely. Juggling Elephants. So let's
1: dive right in over there uh, as we go. We'll learn more about your background. But title, Juggling Elephants, uh, I mean, I was giggling um, when, <laughs> I, when, I, when I first saw the book. But how did you come up with that title um, for a book about work-life balance?
2: Sure. Um, I've got to probably take a step back to get to the title and, and the whole genesis of the book Juggling Elephants. Um, I was working with my friend of mine, Todd Musigan, and uh, one day, and we were just having that conversation that we all have. And he said, you know, Jones, sometimes I just feel like, um, you know, uh, that I'm not doing my best at work. I'm like, yeah, we all kind of struggle with that. And he says, yeah, sometimes I feel like I'm, I'm not taking care of my family. I'm not being a good spouse, not being a good dad. I'm like, yeah, we all struggle with that. And he says, you know, sometimes I just have no time for myself. And I'm like, yeah, we all struggle with that. And then he just said in a moment he said am i just supposed to run around and run around like my life some kind of circus i'm like what did you just say he said like a circus i'm like what would it look like if you were to Think about your work in life like a circus. And we went inside and started drawing, not on a napkin, but on eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper about what that would look like. And one of the things we talked about is what is an act you would not see in the circus could be that because it would be impossible to perform. And we came up with this idea of juggling elephants because you can't do it, but it's what it feels like when we're trying to work to get everything done, both at work and in our relationships and for ourselves. Absolutely, and we all have those
1: moments—that sense of overload. Again, between our personal lives, um, this time of year, everybody has so many things going on. And, and work-wise, I mean, uh, hopefully, everybody's on that uh, growth trajectory, and uh, it can be overwhelming, especially, especially as an entrepreneur. So, what? Let's dive into it. What are the biggest reasons we all feel with that constant sense of overload in our lives?
2: Yeah, yeah. I'm going to start with the very foundational idea of the idea that we can get it all done. That's impossible. We, we have physical, mental, emotional, financial limits, especially if you're an entrepreneur. Uh, and sometimes we, we just think that we don't have to plan for our time as effectively because we don't even think about the fact, okay, I'm limited in what I have today. uh, And so how am I going to use that time to, to get my best return on investment? And so I think that's one of the starting points is we have to say that I can't get it all done. So what are the most important things I can do? I think the second thing is thinking about, you know, what are the outcomes you want from this day, this week? Uh, We talk about in the book about being the ringmaster of your circus, recognizing that you don't have control of everything, but you do have opportunity to influence impact more than anything else or anyone else in your work and life and are you being the ringmaster of your circus are you taking the opportunity to to plan your day to say okay yeah there's an hour of discretionary time that i could use for a longer term activity because if not then you just spend your day just taking the bright shiny object or the squeaky wheel or whatever's right in front of you and you don't think longer term about what should i be focusing my time on
1: Absolutely. I'm chatting with Jones Laughlin, who's a speaker, author, and coach, Uh, especially, uh, again, this new read, Juggling Elephants. We've been chatting about the story of that. But Jones, one of the things I know that you are fond of saying is that the problem is not time management, it's choice management. What do you mean by that?
2: Sure. Um, Charlie Gilkey wrote a great book or has written several great books, but one of the things he talks about is how that, that schedules can be managed, uh, energy can be managed, but time cannot be managed. Time can only be accounted for, so it's a lag measure. I say it's about our choices because the choices we make every day are the things that lead us closer to accomplishing our goals or further away. Give you a perfect example. People wake up in the morning. uh, They make the choice. Many people do to um, open up social media or check their messages or email or something. You immediately are allowing people who do not understand your goals. They aren't necessarily in line with your values. You're allowing all those people to speak into your, your, your thoughts about how you want your day to look versus making the choice choice to say, yeah, you know, what are some of the goals I'm working on right now? What is important to me? What are my priorities? And then beginning to plan your day from that perspective versus comparing yourself to thousands of other people who don't have your same goals or priorities uh, in mind. Absolutely. And I want to talk directly to the entrepreneurs
1: and fellow business owners that are joining the program today, especially when you're starting a business, there is just too much to do, not enough time. And so when somebody comes to you, Jones, and they are looking for coaching, for mentoring, and they're just saying, Jones, I, you know, I've got these goals. I know exactly what I want to do, but I just, I, I, I'm struggling. There's too much and something's going to drop. What do you say to them?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um, You 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 said something very interesting there at the end, Scott. You said you know something's going to drop, and so sometimes I'll ask him, well, what what would that be, and would that be so bad? Um, and so I think identifying what it is you need to drop sometimes. In fact, I have a strategy that I use with my, uh, uh, when I'm coaching someone and I find them in that situation, like you just said, is it's called let's find you a TAD more time. T A D. Uh, the T stands for transfer. What is something you're currently doing that could be uh, transferred to someone else? What is something they could do all or a piece of? And I'm not just talking about work stuff. I'm talking about stuff around your home or stuff, um, uh, in other ways that, that you say that would open up some space for me. The second one is automate. Uh, One of the things that we find with entrepreneurs is they just get so busy working on things that they get out of a rhythm or a cadence. And, you know, what do you need to automate? For some people, what they need to automate is exercise. Okay. First thing in the morning or after I finish this or something, they need to set up some type of schedule. So they're not having to make so many decisions during the day. I know this happens at this time. The third one is D that's drop. What is something you need to stop doing? What's something you need to, to to drop from your schedule that would open up some space? And oftentimes I find that people can identify something that, yeah, if I would drop that, that would give me 15 minutes a day. I'm like, okay, great. How can you better use that 15 minutes a day that you were using scrolling on social media or socializing more than probably was necessary. And they can identify it, but then it's got to be scheduled. Going back to that whole idea of creating the lineup, they've got to figure out where they're going to put it in their day. And starting small is the key. Uh, You've heard me say 15 minutes. I think all of us can find 15 minutes in our day that we could use more effectively.
1: Absolutely. And uh, you are clearly uh, very uh, comfortable with this format for this program. And uh, again, managing to get some really strong points. And I know everybody's going to have some really key takeaways. Um, so, Jones, I want to talk. About you, uh, because you are a role model in, again, choice management and in juggling elephants, as we've said so far. So what are some of the things that you're working on right now? What are some of the goals that you've prioritized, especially call it a New Year's resolution in the year to come?
2: Sure. Absolutely. One of the things for me um, is I need to continue to get better with my routines and my habits. I need to automate more. That's one of my goals for the new year is automating more, it's where, whether it's writing, whether it's developing new content, uh, whatever it is. I, I just need to get better automation because I'm still making too many decisions analog, we might say. The second thing where I'm working on, it's a bigger project. I am working on a book about focus. Um, so many of my clients, so many of the people in my keynote programs, they talk about they just they just can't focus they're working on something one minute then they're choosing to work on something the next minute and so i am currently working on a book about focus that uses the wisdom of a beekeeper uh, to help them understand how to focus i'm excited about that project hope to have that book ready by end of 2024
1: Oh, I can't wait to bring you back on again, chatting with Jones Laughlin. Really, really exciting conversation. Uh, The book is called Juggling Elephants, and I know there's going to be a lot more to come. But Jones, how can we get in touch with you and where can we find a copy of this great read?
2: Absolutely. First of all, copies of Jogging Elephants are available anywhere you buy books, especially online. So wherever that is, you can get those there. Uh, Certainly someone could contact my office if they want some for their organization, uh, signed copies, those kinds of things. Uh, My website is joneslaughlin.com. I'd love for people to come uh, connect with me there. I also have an opportunity for people to sign up for a monthly resource with tips and ideas on managing the struggle of too much to do. Uh, Finally, I do put out a lot of content on LinkedIn. I love my network of folks that I get to work with on uh, uh, their challenges. So connect with me on LinkedIn at Jones Laughlin. Jones, thank you so much
1: for joining us. We'll be back in just a moment. Be sure to check out our sponsors, Tom Mirabali from HealthPlanChicago.com. Or give him them a call 630-863-3477. Again, a quick break, but we'll be right back. Well, we know that learning to be a good leader doesn't involve formulas or abstractions. It can, however, be edified through examining tangible illustrations of leaders and leadership from history, which is exactly what my next guest is all about. Moshe Temkin is Distinguished Visiting Professor of Leadership and History at Schwarzman College. Uh, he's a fellow at Harvard University's Belfer Center for Science and International Affairs. He's taught at Harvard, Columbia and uh, has been a visiting professor and lecturer in India, South Korea, Spain, Mexico, France, and the United States. Um, I'm absolutely thrilled to uh, once again be joined by Moshe tempkin um, as we talk about uh, examples throughout history uh, where we can uh you know learn um so Moshik, welcome to the program. Thanks so much for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me. Absolutely. I know you have a new book out. It's called Warriors, Rebels, and Saints, The Art of Leadership, um, and uh, looking forward to, uh, to talking all about that book. But let's talk about your background for just a moment. Um, why did you – when did you get uh, interested and passionate about this topic?
3: Well, you know, I was uh, uh, teaching for several years at, at, at Harvard University at the Kennedy School of Government, and I had – uh, students from, from all walks of life who were interested in various aspects of leadership, leadership and, and, and public policy. And I'm a historian, so my task was to make history relevant, make history something that uh, was important, impactful for uh, these kinds of people. So I started teaching on leaders and leadership in history. And uh, the cases that I developed kind of uh, took on lives of their own, uh, uh, as it were. And uh, after a a few years of of teaching this course, it dawned on me and some people close to me, the, the opinion I trust, that it could be actually geared to a wider public because there seemed to be a lot of interest in these cases. And so that's how the idea for the book came along. Right. So the idea for this book, Warriors, Rebels and Saints, is really to take that classroom experience um, and to turn it outward to the broader public so that anybody who reads the book can get a sense uh, of what you know, how to learn from history about leadership.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. So I, I'm going to ask the, the simple question, especially for the entrepreneurs, small business owners tuning into this program. Um, again, the book is, is called uh, Warriors, Rebels and Saints. But why is it important for readers to know about leaders and leadership in the past? How is that relevant for people today?
3: Oh, because the past is never dead. The past mm-hmm. is with us all the time. The past is what shaped the world we live in. We can't understand the world we live in, whether we're thinking about the political world, the business world. You know, international affairs, what have you, without understanding the forces that shape the world and how change happens over time. And we also know that it's really leaders who are the ones who are driving that change. So it's really important, I think, for uh, uh, anyone who wants to do well in this fast changing world uh, to understand where leaders come from, right? What kind of crises and what kind of Moments and what kind of circumstances create these leaders? You know where they emerge from, and then once these lead, we have leaders, what do they do? Right? How do they change history? So that's what led me to kind of pose the question that's at the heart of this book, which is, you know, do leaders make history, or does history make the leaders? And I'm sure, and I've had uh, should say many uh, students over the years from the business world, from the private sector. And they, uh, you know, they don't need me to teach them how to do well at business. They don't need me to teach them how to, uh, you know, succeed in business. But I think they can learn a lot about leadership and they can transpose from these historical cases onto their own world, onto their own professional challenges.
1: Absolutely. So that's a
3: perfect segue.
1: What are some of the most important things, the the most critical things, be realizing that we are a program, as we say, we get down to business, that you think that leaders of today and tomorrow, especially some of those students, can learn from the leaders of yesterday?
3: Yeah, I think there you know it's interesting the, the question of history comes up a lot. I think there are things um that we have in this world that, that are timeless, that are universal. You know, you pointed out when you introduced me very nicely that Uh, I teach in different places in the world. And while every place I teach is different, you know, if you take, I don't know, if you take India, you take the United States, you take Mexico. These are very different countries, very different problems, very different histories. But some problems and some challenges are universal. I think all leaders want uh, to have a better society around them. They want people to succeed. They they want their children to do better than than they are doing. They they want a better future for everybody. So I think that some of these issues have come up in history. Leaders in the past have faced all kinds of crises uh, from which we can learn today. Because it's not that history repeats itself, but history is really the best laboratory we have to see what kind of leadership and in the past succeeded, what, what didn't succeed, right? And, and then we can evaluate what is different and similar from situations in the past uh, compared to situations that we might face now
1: absolutely and leadership is something we speak about frequently on this program uh, we talk about leaders we talk about leadership so masha you are a um, you are a uh, student of of leadership a student of history so why are leaders important in moments of crisis and what leaders do people choose in such moments
3: yeah that's a, that's a great question so i think one of the observations that i saw as i was you know uh, learning this originally as a student and then later as, as a professor, is that there are leaders who are more adapted to times of stability, peace. Uh, and then there are leaders that, uh, we, are, uh, that we, we are better served by, let's put it that way, in times of crisis. So just to give one quick example, I think you know, the Great Depression that hit the United States in, in, in 1929 and, and, and lasted throughout the 1930s up to World War II Um, was really a moment where you could compare a leader. We had President Herbert Hoover, who was extremely admired and popular when he got elected, and he was an excellent leader for a moment of of stability, uh, a moment of peace. But when crisis hit and the Depression hit, Herbert Hoover turned out to be, in a way, the the wrong man at the wrong uh, job at the wrong time, whereas his successor, uh, President uh, Roosevelt, was an excellent crisis leader. He really handled the crisis in a very dynamic way, in a way that made him extremely popular uh, to the public. They elected him four times, right? We all, we all know that. And, and we don't know how Roosevelt would have done in a moment of stability. He might not have been such a memorable or transformative leader. So I think in a moment of crisis, we're looking for leaders who can help us. We're looking for leaders who can propose things, who are very dynamic and especially We look for leaders who address the problem in an honest, transparent and and realistic way, because I think ultimately leadership is about trust. It's about honesty. It's about truth telling. And it's about leveling with people.
1: I'm chatting with the author of a new read. It's called Warriors, Rebels, and Saints, published uh, just about a month ago uh, and uh, written by our guest, Moshe Temkin. I'm um, really enjoying this conversation about uh, leaders, leadership, and history. Uh, we've already, uh, you've already answered the question, Moshe, about, again, does history actually repeat itself? Um, but I'm, I'm curious, why did you choose the leaders uh, that were selected in your book? What do they have in common?
3: Uh, that's an excellent question. I think the leaders are coming. They come from very different times. They come from different places in the world. There are different types of leaders with different kinds of challenges. But I think what they all have in common is that these are leaders or situations uh, of leadership that really are crisis situations, conflict situations. I'm drawn very much to moments in which uh, there seems to be often very little hope sometimes no hope at all, even situations when, you know, you have to find ways to lead under tyranny, or when you are in an economic crisis, or when your very survival is at stake, uh, or when you are fighting for very basic rights and freedom uh, that people have had to do. Uh, And so I'm really interested in how leaders deal with those pressure situations, with those crisis situations. Uh, And I think, If you kind of look through the gallery of leaders that are in the book, and the list is long and I won't go through it here, uh, you'll find that they have that in common. These are leaders who were uh, facing very difficult challenges, but I have to say that they're not always successful, right? I think some of the leaders in the book are success stories, as it were, and some of them maybe not. And I think it's very important for everyone to learn not just from successes but also from failures because – We don't just want to identify leadership with success. We really want to understand what are the conditions for success and what might be conditions for failure or discipline.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I've been chatting with Moshek Temkin. Uh, Moshek, it's a great read, and I want to make sure our listeners can get in touch with you and find a copy of the book. How can they do that?
3: Well, they can get on my website, moshektemkin.com. Uh, where you have contact information, you have uh, you have my email, and I'd actually love to hear from people who want to engage with the book, who read the book, have their thoughts. Uh, it's very important for me to stay in touch with, with readers and really anybody who has questions, yes. so I, I welcome that.
1: Well, we'll make sure it's a link in the show notes as well. Thanks so much for joining us. A Quick break and Get Down to Business. We'll be right back. Hey, welcome back to Get Down to Business. Such a timely conversation we are about to have over here. I'm thrilled to be joined by Peter Voss, who is uh, the pioneer in AI who coined the term Artificial General Intelligence. Um, Peter, I know you are uh, the current CEO and Chief Scientist at, uh, I, I want to make sure I don't butcher the uh, pronunciation, but it's AIGO.AI, um, and uh, you are a leader in this space. Um, Peter Voss, welcome to the program.
4: Yes, thank you. It's iGo.ai.
1: go. Okay, perfect. Right. go.ai, Perfect. I appreciate it. I, I didn't want to butcher that because, thank I you. mean, I'm just a good example of how little uh, people know about what is rapidly becoming a, a literally industry changing in virtually every single industry, and that's artificial intelligence. So, Peter, I want to start by getting to know you. When did you become interested in artificial intelligence and develop your expertise in this space?
4: Oh, about 25 years ago. Um, prior to that, I was actually an electronics engineer. Then I started my, I fell in love with software, started my own software company. Um, you know, an um, accounting ERP software package. That company was quite successful. We grew to 400 people and did an IPO. It's when I exited that company, I, it occurred to me, how can we make software smarter? How can we give software intelligence? And so I embarked on a journey of studying intelligence, all different aspects of intelligence, how children learn, what makes our intelligence special, you know, compared to animal intelligence or or, or other, and uh, what do IQ tests measure, all of the, you know, really deep understanding of AI. And I've just been passionate about achieving um, what we call AGI, basically machines that can think, learn, and learn, and reason the way humans do.
1: Absolutely. And one of the most uh, important things that you've been involved in is this conversational AI, um, because you believe that hyper personalization is the future of customer service and AI is making that uh, possible. So, you know, Peter, as we have this conversation at the end of 2023, uh, I know AI is definitely a part of our lives and it's changing things um, on so many levels. So what are some of the trends that you would want our listeners to follow in the world of artificial intelligence?
4: Right. Uh, very, very good question, because a year ago, ChatGPT was launched, and it's really been revolutionary. I mean, everybody's talking about it. Everybody's trying to see how they can use it. Now, the, the, the quick takeaway is it's not ready for prime time for customer-facing things, and uh, it's it's really not going to be able to do that because it makes a lot of mistakes and you know your legal department uh, isn't going to sign off on on something that can just make a big blunder and it's inherent in the technology so the technology is fantastic for brainstorming for getting ideas getting information that it's been trained on i mean it it's just been trained on in basically everything that's on the internet so there is a lot of knowledge there but it's good bad and ugly and it really requires a human in the loop to kind of make sense of it and say, oh, that does this actually make sense or maybe I should double check it or something. So companies who believe that they can use this uh, ChatGPT technology for customer facing service, uh, I think I'm making a big mistake. You really need a different approach that is uh, auditable, that's reliable. And you know that's, the, that, that's what we are offering. It's, it's called a cognitive AI. As opposed to generative AI, so generative AI makes up stuff, you know, from this massive amount of uh, knowledge that it has, whereas cognitive AI um, reasons about things and it, it has limited knowledge, but the knowledge is solid, you know, so it can give customer service.
1: Absolutely. I'm chatting with Peter Voss, serial entrepreneur, engineer, inventor, and a pioneer in artificial intelligence. He is on a mission to provide a highly intelligent and hyper personalized assistant for everyone and uh, Peter I mean as we have this conversation with entrepreneurs um, that don't frankly have a large budget what are some of the things that you think that is maybe not even ready for prime time but some of the things that you think that that folks can utilize where it stands right now Uh, I know that's uh that you're you are uh leading in this space
4: yeah so we're Generative AI can be very good in helping to, you know, create copy logos and, and things like that to help you brainstorm, to get information. So for all of those things, I think definitely everybody should become familiar what the technology can do. Now, on the other hand, if you want to automate call centers, I mean, call centers are always a pain point, you know, for anybody who has one and hiring people, training and retaining them. Uh, this is where our kind of solution really comes to the fore, where we can provide this hyper-personalized service where it gets to know each individual user, you know, what they buy from you and, you know, what their priorities are and, and, and so on. Um, so they, they're they two different realms. You know, the one is for brainstorming, creating coffee and so on. And the other one is for, you know, replacing call center agents or, or helping helping to reduce that that pain point in a company
1: absolutely peter i really enjoyed this conversation i could talk to you for hours about something that's really important and i imagine that if we have this conversation a few months there's going to be uh so many developments uh and innovation between now and then and i will definitely make a point of bringing you back on real soon um but peter how can we get in touch with you if we want to learn more about the important work of you and your uh, and your fascinating team
4: Yes, absolutely. Well, simplest is uh, you can contact me at peter at Igo.ai. A-I-P-E-O dot A-I. Uh, also, the website, I'm on you know, I'm on uh, Twitter and LinkedIn uh, as well. So uh, I welcome any um, you know anybody contacting me. I also have a number of articles that are published on medium.com. Mm-hmm.
1: Fantastic. Igo.ai we'll link in the show notes. But Peter Voss, thanks so much for joining us. Quick break. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Get Down to Business, the show all about small business, jobs, and entrepreneurship. Got a treat in store for you. I'm thrilled to be joined by Malcolm Peace, who is the founder of Tatera Growth Partners, a company specializing in acquiring family-owned small businesses, with established Texas legacies. Unlike traditional private equity firms and business brokers, Citera takes a long term approach, which we're going to talk all about. Uh, Malcolm certainly has a unique perspective as a first generation American with South African ancestry, coupled with his passion for business and civic engagement. And absolutely thrilled to have Malcolm Peace on the program.
5: Thanks so much for joining us. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thanks for having me.
1: Absolutely. So I always love to get to know the person behind the microphone. Malcolm, already alluded to it. you've got an interesting perspective, but um, who are you and why are you so passionate about business?
5: Yeah, I love small business. I think small business has an ability to employ people in a way that maybe larger corporate companies can, um, just they have different incentives. Um, and when you're able to control the outcome in a private small business um, in the way that you take care of your employees, um, that is bar to none compared to the rest of the economy and things of that nature. So um, I, I think that that's the unique position that we get to have. And I like playing in a space that I can roll up my sleeves and make some you know practical improvements to um, to see kind of long term um, success.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and uh, obviously, our listeners can't see you, but you're uh, you're a relatively young guy over here, and um, and I'm curious, what was your first business venture? I know you have uh, quite a bit of experience um, sure. for uh, for for a young fella, and you're you've been a coach, a consultant, and certainly you have a unique perspective, which is equipping small firms with a lot of tools. But where did you get started?
5: Yeah, um, candidly, <laughs> I, I played college tennis, and so tennis has always kind of been athletics has always been in my background, so. Um, If you really go way back first, first lessons as a tennis coach, when I was like 13, 14 years old to probably a girlfriend or a family friend that was willing to sit there and do that with me. Um, But yeah, that was kind of the beginnings of I could go earn my own dollars um, was a kind of unique perspective. And I obviously had friends that did other things, you know, ran the lawn care business or whatever the case may be. But being able to say, here's a set of skills that I have and I can go apply that and make um, good money on it. Um, I was super excited to do that. So that was the beginnings of kind of the entrepreneurship and obviously watched my parents. They have an entrepreneurship background as well. So I watched them and, and kind of made it my own through tennis.
1: Absolutely. And we're going to pick your brain on a lot of advice for fellow small business owners and entrepreneurs that are tuning in over here. Um, but I, I also want to understand uh, a lot more about sitsera and the Texas small business landscape. But lastly, just on your personal background, uh, I know your uh, Southern African uh, ancestry is really important uh, to you. How does that uh, mold or shape some of your business ideas and decisions?
5: Yeah, great question. So family immigrated from South Africa in 1990. Um, I was born a few months later, um, so that ages me for everybody listening. Um, But that to be said... you know, my, my family had been there for many, many generations for a multitude of reasons um, on my mom's side and my dad's side throughout Southern Africa, ranging from Mozambique, Zimbabwe, um, and then moving down um, into Southern Af- or South Africa um, eventually before moving to the States. And so, um, with that, there's been entrepreneurship. And, and on my mom's side, particularly, my great grandfather owned about 50,000, 70,000 acres of land uh, for cattle and dairy and employed hundreds of people and made a great product for the community um, and just had a beacon of. Um, employment and quality um you know within the within the local area so all that to be said sit really meant to embody that where we do business right where we partner with the local community like the um Government there to be able to retain jobs and increase jobs, all that kind of stuff. We often get grants for land opportunities and things of that nature, Um, but also at the same while take care of people inside the house, too, from the employee side of things, because I really do believe these small businesses are built on these key employees um, that ultimately, you know, spend many, many years, decades often um, of their life invested into these companies.
1: Absolutely. I'm chatting with Malcolm Peace again, the, uh, the founder of Tatera Growth Partners. Um, really, really interesting background. So Malcolm, uh, everything's bigger in Texas, but, uh, you're certainly proud of that small business landscape in, uh, in, uh, that, that great state of Texas. So why Texas and, and, and why is that so important for you?
5: Yeah. um, Candidly, I know the landscape. I know the laws. I know the tax implications of working and operating within the state. And I don't know it from any other state. So that was the practical first part. Um, But then it becomes an uh, an idea of you want to be known when you're competing in this space to get first kind of position engaging with these small business owners you want to be hyper focused on um, what you're communicating to them because it is going to be their largest asset that they probably ever transition in their life and so as a result it can be very overwhelming for them to be bombarded with lots of information and so we try to keep it very hyper focused of here's how we concentrate here's our game plan here's what we do and we're not intending on buying anything way outside the state or across the world or whatever the case may be we're here to play in the backyard and I understand this backyard very well
1: Absolutely. So, who are you working with at Setsera? What what kind of companies are reaching out to you, and how do you and your team help them?
5: Yeah. So it starts back again. We we went from a crawling to a walking phase, and I think we're getting close to that running phase um, in our development. Um, but it comes through a journey personally, as I kind of went from you know, like I said, I had a tennis background, played in college tennis, and then kind of went had. Some coaching years after that and then went to grad school and kind of made this transition into small business and investments and um, running and operating small businesses. And in that time, there was a stint where I was working for a larger private equity group where we were doing um, hus- we were doing, sorry, cybersecurity and defense contracting companies. And in that time, I will never forget sitting in uh, Las Vegas at a convention kind of early 3.0 Web 3.0 and also, um, you know, cryptocurrencies and things like that and felt like a total fish out of water. And so I think for anybody, you know, that's going through a phase of kind of honing in on their niche, it's sometimes just a series of events that take place. And so that was a really pivotal one for me where I realized, man, I am not going to fit into this space. So let me go work on rather kind of white rather than white collar type businesses. Let's go work on blue collar industrial type businesses. And I had a lot of exposure in that kind of another, you know. Um, engagements that I had and partnerships that I had where we were working with a lot of blue collar type be- folks. And I think that one of the things that I'm uniquely positioned to do is be able to distill down kind of professionalization mm-hmm. of business to a you know an audience that maybe doesn't get that as much. Absolutely. Again,
1: chatting with Malcolm Peace. We're going to squeeze in a very quick break here on Get Down to Business, the show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. Get on my website, sycline.com. Be sure to subscribe, rate, review and share on your favorite podcast app. But again, don't touch that dial. We'll be right back. Okay, we're back on Get Down to Business, continuing our conversation with a fascinating uh, small business owner, entrepreneur, uh, again, first-generation American with Southern African ancestry, uh, combined with a strong, strong, strong passion for business and civic engagement. That's Malcolm Peace. Is the founder of Cetera Growth Partners. Uh, Malcolm, welcome back. Thanks again for joining us. We've been chatting about your firm, again, called Cetera. And uh, you practice what you preach, my friends. I know you are in the process of scaling Your own firm, you mentioned that you're uh, in the process of sort of moving into that run phase, um, which is great. So what are your big New Year's resolutions and growth plans for 2024?
5: Yeah, you know, I think one of the challenges with any business, um, you know, those that we engage with, we purchase or those that we um, go through the process of due diligence with or just interact with in general, Um, businesses are always capped based on the capacity of the owner if they build a business like that. And what I mean by that is, is if the business owner is in the middle, like we like to call a centralized business, everything flows to the owner. They're the control. They make the decisions. They have all the regulation on everything happening. That business will only grow to the capacity of that owner. And consequently, although we um, work on that outside in the portfolio companies, developing systems that are not dependent on an owner. Um, in our firm, we did not do that early on. And so um, we are changing that going into 2024. Originally, it was me coming in as the operator for the first six months, and then I would replace myself with an operator. Um, but that is an inefficient process to scale. So we are um, bringing, like you said, taking what we preach to what we do within our portfolio companies and bringing it in-house a little bit more to the firm side. And so we're rolling out our generous vice president program, where we are hiring people to be in-house for a period of time before they go be a part of our businesses that we operate.
1: Amazing. Amazing. Congratulations on all of that success. So we are a practical show, a show that provides uh, homework assignments, if you will, to our listeners. We love to give people, again, the actions, the advice, the information that they need to be successful as well. So Malcolm, um, you've been sharing a lot about your own uh, success. What advice would you have for a fellow entrepreneur that may be tuning in
5: yeah, so we focus on businesses that are doing 3 to $12 million in revenue exclusively in Texas. So, but I think this advice can go just about anywhere. If you're in that phase or you're cresting into that phase um, or you aspire to be in that phase, building a business that has systems that are not centered around you, re- figuring out how many things what we like to call our $10 tasks that you can hand off to other people that are not worth your time that you continuously do. And we create a simple T-chart. Um, left hand side, you write down all the tasks you, re- you write down on the uh, right hand side, if they're actually revenue generating, or they have some kind of upside real upside potential with that task that you do. And if it doesn't, it needs to be off that list within 30 days. And we exclusively put that down to get our team thinking in a different form or fashion than they may have not had in the past.
1: Absolutely. And what Perhaps mistakes. Would you would you recommend that folks avoid? I know it hasn't been all rainbows and butterflies for, for you and your team at Citra, and certainly you are in the weeds with many of your uh, many of your uh, uh, portfolio companies that you're involved with. So, what are what's some of the common mistakes that you'd recommend our listeners maybe steer clear from?
5: Yeah, as you're in that scaling phase, or you're kind of cresting that maybe that seven figure mark or whatever the case may be, you're going to start adding really, really important people to build that out. And what ends up happening is this subtle dynamic shift of leverage for that employee. So that employee becomes, uh, the business becomes heavily dependent on that employee. Um, And then what you end up not doing is documenting. So you're always in this tug of war where you're having to increase pay or increase kind of the leverage that they get to have. Um, and the business owner loses that leverage. And as a result is the business gets put into position where it's actually highly risky, because that employee may or may not be able to stay um, for a long period of time. And so what we do is we address where are those key risk points? What is that key thing that allows our business to thrive and do well? And we start de-risking that with standard operating procedure documentation um, to be mm-hmm. able to eliminate some of that risk
1: absolutely Malcolm really enjoyed this conversation learned a lot and I know our listeners will as well and in fact I know that they'll want to get in touch with you and your team at Sitsara Growth Partners how can they do that
5: yeah you can find us on Sitsara.com T-S-E T-S-E-R-R-A I'm on LinkedIn Twitter and other places Um, Malcolm Peace you're more than welcome to reach out to me happy to chat with anybody we're always looking for operators that want to run businesses in Texas and we'd love to engage with business owners that are looking for somebody to buy their business and hold on to it for a long time
1: awesome. Malcolm, Peace, thanks so much for joining us. Happy holidays to you, your team, your family. Uh, looking forward to having you back on in the new year. Uh, that's a wrap for us here on the show about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. Get on my website, sycline.com. To success, let's get down to business. We'll see you next Sunday right here at M560, The Answer.